When Paul wrote the Romans, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation. Sometimes when we think about the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the good news, we often allow ourselves to think, well, it's ordinary, but it's something that is life-changing. It's capable of making us a different type of people. It's able to take people whose lives are going in the wrong direction and change them to going in the direction that God would have them to go. We recognize that sometimes, though, people just can't get along. I think about people, for instance, who are living in the Middle East, who are the descendants of Ishmael, and they look at those people who are the descendants of Isaac, and there's a genuine hatred among those people. We would describe it as being like oil and water, or perhaps fire and ice. We recognize the truth of the statement of Amos in chapter 3 and verse 3. He said, can two walk together unless they are agreed? We sometimes have to realize that this challenge is a spiritual conflict as well. You and I got up this morning and we made a decision whether or not we were going to go in the direction of worshiping God's God through the avenue of assembly like we are this morning. Or some got up this morning and they chose, I'm going to live a little different lifestyle. There's righteousness and lawlessness. Paul draws the great distinction between these in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14. He says, be not unequally yoked or do not be unequally yoked together with the unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness? There is the world on one side and there is God's kingdom on the other. When you get to God's kingdom, there's good news. When you choose the path of the world, there's bad news. And here is the ultimatum. Man has to choose which he wants. Going back to the Old Testament, to 1 Kings chapter 18. Israel was bouncing back and forth, either at times worshiping God and at other times worshiping Baal. Ahab's wife Jezebel had introduced that among God's people. The great prophet Elijah stood on the top of Mount Carmel and he asked the question, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, follow Him. But the people answered Him, not a word. You see, here's the problem because you have the two distinctions, the world and then God's kingdom. You have the worship of God and the worship of anything else. And man has to choose. I want you to take your Bibles and let's begin on a journey from Galatians 5 verse 16 through the end of the chapter. We're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the struggle that exists in verses 16 through 18. We're going to look 
at the works of the flesh or the sins of the flesh in verses 19 through 21. And then finally, we're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit in verses 22 through the end of the chapter. Let's go back to that passage that Brother Herb read for us just a few moments ago and let's look at the details that are to be found there. He said, I say then, walk in the Spirit that you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, there are two forces completely contrary to one another. You can't get any further distinct than the spiritual kingdom and the world. In fact, if you will notice this idea of being led by or walking refers to a lifestyle. Either I choose to walk by, live by, be guided by God, or I choose to be guided by the world. Paul used these same kind of words when he wrote the Romans in chapter 8. I'm just going to pull out verses 1 and 5. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In verse 5, For those who live according to the Spirit, or the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Set your mind on. That's what you think about. The truth is, there are so many people in this world who are thinking only worldly, fleshly thoughts. Because of that, that's the choices they make. That's the pattern of their life. Likewise, there's some people who have put spiritual things at the front. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 Paul would, or John would write, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. It is not of the Father, but of the world. He's trying to say to each of us, don't look at the world's things and love it. Don't let it guide you. Don't let it attract you. Don't let it pull you. And he's trying to tell you where it will lead you. When James wrote his letter, he tried to point out you cannot serve God in the world. He said, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. There's a strong contrast between the two. But I tried to anticipate the question that some would ask. But Tony, you would say there that he says, those who are led by the Spirit. How is it that the Spirit leads us? Well, it's not by the nudgings or the inner feelings. It's not as if I'm going to be walking along and the Holy Spirit is going to say, don't you do that. 
It's not as if there's going to be some bad feeling within me. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 talks about the pleasures of sin. It may be that a person chooses to do something wrong and derive some pleasure from it. But you know, David said, Your word have I laid up in my heart that I might not sin against you. When I go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is, or chapter 2, verse 10, Paul is going to describe the revelation of God's message to man. And he says, But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. And then he goes down to talk about in verse 12, We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These words we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but what the Spirit teaches combining spiritual or comparing spiritual things with spiritual. The American Standard Translation, combining spiritual things with spiritual words. In other words, it's a revelation. It's God's message. How do I know what God wants me to do and to live a spiritual life? It's through the book that was revealed by the Spirit. That's the reason why in 1 Peter 1 and verse 12, he would say that to them it was not revealed that uh, they were ministering these things, which has now been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven. Notice, people who preach the gospel do so by the Spirit. And then 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 tells us that knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, For prophecy never came by will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gave Peter, the Holy Spirit gave Paul, the Holy Spirit gave John the message that you and I have the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now I think you probably understood that great struggle that exists between the two sides. But lest you and I get the idea we don't know which side is which, Paul is going to talk about the works of the flesh and then the fruit of the Spirit. He wants you to understand the distinction between the two. We've got to read verses 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murderers, drunkenness, revelries, and the like of which I told you beforehand, even as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, the truth is, there are 17 different sins listed here. And yet, that's not even a comprehensive list. That's not all the sins that one might commit. What Paul is doing is actually giving you 
a sampling, if you will, of several categories. He uses the phrase and the such like so that we'll understand there's many more things that would come under the category of fleshly sins. For just a minute or two, let's look at that list. Let's contemplate it for just a minute. There are the first sensual sins that he discusses. He talks about adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness, or older translations, lasciviousness. Adultery is what happens when you have a person who's married commits a sexual sin with someone else. Fornication is that broad category that includes some of these others, but it primarily focuses on two people having relations that are not married. Or if you want to be more blunt, what occurs with premarital sex. Uncleanness is the word which we in our language today would probably say means dirty. You've heard of dirty books, dirty movies, dirty language, dirty stories, that's it. And then the word lewdness. That's flaunting moral sensibilities. It can include all things from pornography to immoral dance to immodest dress. All of these things can come under this sensual type sins. He said those belong to the works of the flesh. Then there are the superstitious sins. Idolatry and sorcery. Idolatry is something that I think most of us well understand. When a person bows down, worships an image, whether it's made of stone or wood or some precious metal, regardless of how it's decorated, it's not God. We don't always appreciate sorcery, though. When I think of sorcery, I often think of some of the movies that I've seen portraying the Middle Ages. The Greek word for sorcery is pharmakia, from which we get our English word pharmacy. It refers to the use of chemicals and incantations where you could be able to deceive someone else. You know about Simon the sorcerer in the Bible. Do you remember in Ephesians, the Ephesians in Acts 19, how that they practiced the magical arts? That's exactly this. When they became Christians, they brought their books, they piled them in a bundle in the middle and burned them. We're not going to have anything else to do with that. That is with the superstitious realm. The third group are social sins and perhaps the largest of the numbers that's here. You have hatred, that's the ill will towards someone. Contentions where there is, there's arguments, usually prompted by jealousy. Someone looks at someone else and they have a passion that burns. It says, I don't want them to enjoy that. Outbursts of wrath. That's where a person just gets angry and flames up. Selfish ambitions. It's funny this word's used outside of the religious context to talk about politicians. To talk about a person 
trying to scratch and climb and, and get to a position where they get at the top of the heap. Dissensions, divisions, maybe is a better translation there, where people divide up one another, among one another. Heresies, the teachings that divide. Envy, similar to jealousy, the only with the, the malice part included. And then finally, murderers, to the point where you treat someone. All of these relate from man to man. How do I treat you? If I am fleshly, I don't care about you. I care about myself and what I can get out of it. That's why these are sins. The fourth category are sins of stupor. Drunkenness and revelries. Drunkenness, I think we all understand that. Most often in biblical times it was with alcohol. The revelries were the drinking parties where a group would get together and would become inebriated. Along with that, many times went a number of the sensual sins as well. What Paul tells us about all this is, is that those people who repeatedly practice this, they're not going to go to heaven. He said, I have told you in time past, and I am telling you now, this is... Something that will keep people from going to heaven. These people wouldn't enjoy heaven anyway. All they think about are fleshly things. No. You can't go to heaven with the works of the flesh. But I'm glad the Holy Spirit put the fruit of the Spirit next because it reflects a totally different lifestyle. The positive... He said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Now as I begin to explore the various fruit that's on this tree, I have to realize that there are nine different attributes here that grows out of a person's life. I think it's, you know, right to talk about the fruit because fruit grows on a tree. It starts out as a little small fruit, but it, it gets larger. It gets riper, more mature. You know, you become a child of God and you start trying to develop these characteristics. They may be small in your life to begin with, but they grow, they mature. If you look at the list... I want to just briefly pause on each one of these. I'm not going to go into great detail. Love, agape, the highest form of love, not an emotion, but an action. I treat you like I want to be treated. In fact, I treat you like you need to be treated. Sometimes people don't even love themselves. Joy. It's not just this giddiness that happens sometimes. Joy is something that is a part of a contentment, a gladness of the heart, a gladness of the soul. It's the kind when you take a man like Paul and you put him in a prison in Philippi, he along with Silas can sing praises to God at midnight. 
How can you praise God while you're in prison? Because you've got joy in your heart. Peace is the absence of malice and the absence of conflict. Nations that have peace with one another. People that have peace with one another. Romans chapter 5 talks about the peace we have with God that was brought about by Jesus Christ. When Paul wrote the books of Ephesians and Colossians, he talked about making peace between Jew and Gentile. Long-suffering. That is being patient with people. Not everybody moves along in life at the same rate. And you have to look at people and be patient with their circumstances they find themselves in life. Some people are suffering. You have to be patient. Realize they're suffering. Some people are attracted by other things. You have to be patient with them. Kindness is the way you treat people. You speak kindly to them. You treat them kindly. Goodness is the absence of any ill will in your life and the absence of any ill will in your actions. You treat somebody good, like it speaks of the worthy woman of Proverbs 31, talking about her, she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Faithfulness. Loyalty. Faithfulness is when you remain loyal to God, come what may. Gentleness. Sometimes translated meekness. The word meek has a real interesting background. It was the word used to describe the taming of a horse. You take that strength and you bring it under control. You have a Christian who has developed these fruit in his life. Doesn't mean he doesn't have strong convictions. Doesn't mean that he's wishy-washy. But what it does mean that he controls himself. And then the word that follows, self-control. We don't let our passions take over, whatever passion that might be. He says, against such there is no law. When you say such, you're saying these things plus other things. This is not a comprehensive list either. Now I want you to notice with me verses 24 through 26 as we draw this to a conclusion here. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. These fruit can only grow when the flesh has been killed. You have weeds in your garden. The plants can't grow. If you have fleshly things in your life, the spirit can't thrive. 
They're contrary to one another. That's the reason why Paul would say in Galatians 2 and verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When you become a Christian, what do you do? You put away all those sinful passions, those sinful desires. You drive them out because you fill them with spiritual things, the fruit of the Spirit. So in order to continue to produce spiritual fruit, you must continue to resist the fleshly influences. I try to study the book of Hebrews personally ever so often for several reasons. Number one of which is to realize that any one of us are susceptible to those fleshly influences creeping back into our lives. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any one of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily as long as it is called today, lest you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Here's the challenge. On this side, you have God, you have His will, you have what's right, you have what's spiritual. On this side, you have the wickedness, the sin, the fleshly life. And these two are so contrary to one another, but it's easy to be pulled back this direction. He says, encourage, exhort one another daily. Someone says, why did God design for us to have weekly assemblies together? I think for this very reason. So that when you come here, you're not listening to what you're hearing when you go to work or when you go to school. You're hearing somebody to urge you, to encourage you, to say, this is the right direction, the path to follow. The good news is God has delivered us from that fatal, fleshly pathway. And I I mean, it is fatal. You take all the... Sins of the flesh, you will die spiritually. And yet God will not force us to walk in the Spirit. He's not going to make you do this or do that. It's going to have to be a choice on your part. I want to end with one passage of Scripture. I want you to listen to it carefully. And then we're going to extend the Lord's invitation. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This morning, here's your choices. You choose to walk in the flesh, live in the flesh, walk by the flesh. You're going to die spiritually. You're going to die lost. And yet God here offers to each and every one an opportunity to live. You choose the spiritual life. If you're not a Christian, here's what the invitation of the Lord includes. Believe on Him. Believe that He's the Son of God. John 8 verse 24. Mark 16 
verse 16. He tells us to repent of those sins. That's where you turn to that old life and you say, I'm not going to live that old life anymore. And then you confess that Jesus is the Christ. Romans 10, 9 and 10. And then you are baptized. That is, you're immersed in water for the remission of your sins. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. The Lord then adds you to His church, the body. You begin your spiritual life. Oh, but how many of us have allowed the flesh to creep back in and take over our lives? Are you not thankful that we have a loving Father who says, when we come back home, I'm glad to welcome you back, child. All is forgiven. Now you can walk that spiritual life. Would you open your songbooks now to number 369? And if you are subject to the Lord's invitation, would you come as together we stand and sing?